morning from John chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary took Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The Lord the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, "Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii?" And given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, The large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that all these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So, Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Thank you. Let's, let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing on this reading of Scripture and on this time of uh, exposition. We pray that you would bless it and glorify yourself through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. As chapter 12 continues, we see Jesus with his disciples and with Martha and Mary and Lazarus as they're at this dinner in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. We looked at the first ten verses where Jesus was anointed by Mary in preparation for his death and burial. Now we go to the second section of this chapter, which deals with the triumphal entry of 
Christ into Jerusalem in verses 12 through 19. Having discussed the characters uh, at the dinner, we, we must not underemphasize the fact that Lazarus was there. Uh, this is, uh, it's hard for us to understand probably the impact that this had on that uh, community around Jerusalem and in the cities that lie close to it. Because he had, been, he had died and been in the tomb for four days and uh, Jesus commanded that the stone be removed and he raised him from that tomb. And there he was, this man who had been dead for four days was lying or reclining at the table with Jesus and with these other guests. John seems to place a great deal of emphasis on the fact that Lazarus was there. And rightly so, for the, the people around that area wanted to see Lazarus. They wanted to actually see this man who had been dead and was raised to life again. Uh, quite a spectacle. And so the people, the cra this crowd, a large crowd it says, uh, gathered and they went to Bethany. And they came to see uh, not only Jesus, but Lazarus, who was there at the house. I mean, after all, it's not every day that you meet somebody who was raised from the dead. Quite a spectacular thing, if you think about it. The Jewish, because of that, the Jewish leaders have set their sights on Lazarus as well as we see in verse 10. Because why, why was it? Why did they want Lazarus? I mean, Jesus was the one that did the miracle. The reason they wanted Lazarus dead was because he had a testimony that of the living power of Christ in his life. And he witnessed it to everyone around him. I mean, you can imagine... What would, you, what would you say? What would you ask Lazarus if you could have met him? What was it like to be dead? I mean, nobody knows. We know what's after death because of Scripture, but nobody has ever been able to come back and tell about it. Oh, you have some bogus claims, but they're all bogus. It's from the Scriptures that we have this information and, and these truths. And so the people were also witnessing, the ones that had been there that day and seen Lazarus raised from the dead were also witnessing of this. And so you have a lot of a lot of witness going on with all this large crowd of people. These people heard and saw the gospel in action through Lazarus and they witnessed it to others. Now, there's a couple of words that I want you to see here that really draw the picture for us of what's taking place. Notice, first of all, uh, the word many. Many. There were many. It means, the word many means a multitude. 
a gathering, many gathered, a large crowd. It means that that, uh, because of Lazarus, this large number of people had come together and they were, many of them were believing in Jesus because of what Lazarus was saying to them and because he was there. I mean, if anyone had a witness to give, it was Lazarus. But you say, what about us? Do we have a witness to give like that? Yes, we do. For we were raised from the dead too. We, Our dead souls were given life just like Lazarus' body was given life. And we can, re- we can testify of the resurrection power of Christ in our own lives as well. Now notice the second thing that happens. Not only were there many that were there, large crowd, but it says they were going away and believing in Jesus. Now that sounds kind of strange. It's a strange phrase. They were going away. What were they going away from? It means that they were going away from the Jewish leaders and they were going to Christ. They were forsaking the false teaching of the Jewish leaders and they were going to the true teaching of Christ. The Pharisees hated him because of this. They hated Lazarus and they hated Jesus before they hated Lazarus, but now they have more hate in their heart because they see the people are leaving them and going to Jesus. The Pharisees hated him because they were losing their place. They were losing their their hold on the people. The Sadducees hated him because he was an embarrassment. I'm talking about Lazarus now. Because he was an embarrassment to their belief system. For they did not believe in a resurrection. But here's a man that was resurrected. That would kind of shake your belief system, would it not? In fact, Matthew 22, verse 23, the same day Sadducees came to Jesus who say there is no resurrection to ask him questions. So this was the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees did believe in resurrection. The Sadducees did not. We find the Apostle Paul later on in the book of Acts raising this question about the resurrection. And it divided the people because there were many that did not believe in a resurrection. You can see how this would have infuriated the Jews. They already hated Jesus, and now their rage is increased because they're losing their following. And they're being refuted as to their beliefs. So now they want two dead instead of one. Leon Morris comments on this. He says, It is interesting to reflect that Caiaphas had said, It is expedient for you that one man die for the people, but one was not enough. Now it had to be two. Thus does evil grow. 
How true a statement is that? Evil tends to grow like like leaven, like yeast in a, in bread. It permeates like rotting in a barrel of apples. All it takes is just a little evil, and more evil comes from it. Maybe the Sadducees thought that they could destroy the evidence by killing Lazarus and proving that he was indeed dead. And maybe they thought they could maintain their belief system if he were out of the way. The point of all of this is that no one is neutral when it comes to Jesus. No one's neutral. You either, you either love him and you, and, you, and you love what he says or you hate him and you don't like what he says. Jesus said as much himself in Luke chapter 11. He said, whoever is not with me is against me. So you're either for or against. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. So whether it is the people loving Jesus as Martha, Mary, and Lazarus did, or whether it's the people that are indifferent or uncommitted as many were in the crowds, or whether it was the hate of Jesus by the Jewish religious leaders, Everyone takes some position on Jesus Christ. There is no one that is neutral. So whatever position or whatever stand a person takes on Jesus, one thing is true. There is salvation in no one else, and there is no name under heaven given among men whereby men must be saved. There have been many who claimed to be the Messiah, but all of them were false. There have been many in history that have come up and claimed to be the Messiah, but they all fell through. Some wanted just a name for themselves. Others wanted or desired to rescue people from the oppression that was on them from the Roman government. The motives and the methods varied, but they all had one thing in common. That was they were satanic. They were all satanic imposters. Counterfeits to the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now Jesus warned about this in as his second coming would be closer as it would draw near, he said there would be many false messiahs. Listen to what he said, Matthew 11, uh, 24, verse 11. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. I don't think there's a time in the history of the world where there are more false teachers and false prophets than there are today. They're everywhere. In every country, in every continent, and particularly, it seems, in poor areas where, where people have virtually nothing. 
they're able to flourish. Jesus said in chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 24, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. All, this, all the false teaching in the world will culminate in the end in one singular false prophet. He's called the false prophet, the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. He's revealed in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 3 and 4, if you'd turn there with me. Notice in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Well, let's back up to verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and of our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seemingly to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So they were thinking, many of them were thinking that the Lord had already come, and they were under this deep oppression from the Roman government. And they were, they were being persecuted. No doubt it would have sounded to them like what Paul had taught them about the end times. Now notice verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless there is a uh, will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction who, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. So that's the ultimate false teacher right there. This Antichrist, this man who will come claiming that he is God, claiming that he is Christ. He is called the Antichrist. He's also mentioned in Revelation chapter 13 in the first 18 verses. But only Jesus has the true credentials of the Messiah. In fact, when John the Baptist questioned whether Jesus was the one that was to come, the Messiah, Jesus sent word back and said this, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have the, have the good news preached to them. That was all John needed to hear. These were the signs of Messiah. These were the things that the Messiah would do when he comes. And when the false Messiah, the man of sin comes, he will do 
miracles as well. And he will fool the world. Even so much so that even if it were possible, even God's people would be fooled by him. But ultimately they will not. These things were attested to by multitudes of people and recorded as actual happenings that substantiate Jesus' claim as Messiah. So, we come now to verse 12. Get back to John here. We come back now to verse 12. And Jesus, having been honored at the dinner, this large crowd of people uh, had come there to see him and to see Lazarus. But it says the Jews came. This large crowd had come. This Jews. But these are not the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders have not yet found Jesus, although they know where he's at. These people made their way to Bethany to see Jesus and Lazarus. But they were spectators. They were thrill seekers. I dare say that if if things of this nature happened around us, we would probably want to go and see it too. If there had been a newspaper in Jerusalem in that day, the headlines would have read, Jesus returns to Passover. Now, normally this event, the triumphal entry as it's called, is a time of jubilation and triumph. We see Jesus coming into Jerusalem uh, not, as a, not as a ruling and reigning general, but as a mild and humble servant. Yet, the people do exactly what was prophesied, and we'll look at that in a moment. I think, any, I think, humanly speaking, this is anything but triumphal. Now, we call it the triumphal entry. But if you think about it in human terms, it wasn't a triumph. For the people who saw him come in that day and were crying, Hosanna, uh, turned in just a few days later. They turned on him. Now, where did Jesus come from? Well, Luke adds a few details. John actually centers more on uh, his entry into Jerusalem. But the other gospel writers give us a few other details. For example, Luke adds the details about his travel toward Jerusalem, saying that he had gone to the house of Zacchaeus in Jericho. And in chapter 19, John gives far less details and centers more on, uh, more on the Lord's out-of-the-way places where he went up into the hills to pray or he went off by himself. This is John. The others tell about his other exploits. Jesus normally went away so that the Jewish leaders could not find him. Because it was not his time to die. But John picks up the narrative on Monday, which would have been a Monday, the next day after the dinner at Bethany. And that same night, 
of the dinner, Judas had met with the chief priest and agreed to betray Jesus. The enemies of Christ were without and within. Judas, seeking money, and the Jews, seeking to eliminate Christ, came to agreement and plotted on how to put him to death. Matthew and Luke give further details. Matthew chapter 26, listen to what it says. Then the chief priests and elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. They did not want to kill Jesus during the feast because everyone had gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Luke 22, verse 2 says, And the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. They were afraid of what the people might do, for many of the people regarded Jesus as a great prophet. However, Jesus had an appointment with death. And that death would be on God's time, not man's. It would not happen before or after the time that God had set from eternity past. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That time was set by God the Father in eternity past. Now, the chief priest wanted to wait till the Passover was, was done because they feared the large crowds might get easily out of hand. However, God's plan was to sacrifice his son as the final Passover lamb. And that's how it would unfold. It, it's just as John the Baptist had said in John 1.29... He saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the Lamb that would be sacrificed. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. He is the Lamb. He is the one pictured in Genesis when, when Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain to take his life. And Isaac said, Where I see the fire and I see the, the, the knife and the wood, where is the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. And he did. He provided it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, Jesus puts pressure on the religious leaders to implement his arrest by presenting himself as the king of Israel. When he, when he rode into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey's colt, they cried, Hosanna, which means save now, save us now. And then they cried, you are the king of Israel, even the king of Israel. Now that must have upset a lot of people. Because up until now, he had not allowed his enemies to take his life, (coughs) 
Not that they didn't try on various occasions. But in each instance, he was able to pass through them or to disappear or go away so as not to be seen by his enemies. There was a particular day and a particular hour that he was to be born, a particular day and a particular hour that he was to die. Paul says in Galatians chapter 4 that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son. There's always that fullness of time that God does his work. His coming to Jerusalem as he did with the large crowds praising him and palm leaves spread before him, riding on a young donkey as prophesied by Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9. The crowd cries out the words of Zechariah 9, verse 15, where they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Some historians say, and estimate that there could have been as many as a million people lining the roads that day. Can you imagine a crowd like that? Just this past week I watched as these demonstrators uh, uh, filled the streets of Washington, filled the streets of London, and they said there was some 300,000 that, that came out in the streets uh, in London uh, protesting Israel. These people don't know what they're talking about. They're accusing of things that are not real. Crowds can get out of hand very easily, as we have seen in our own country. But this, the crowd this day was, was hyped up. They were, they were energized. And they were all crying out of this crescendo of praise and glory, energized by the resurrection of Lazarus days before. Now those in the crowd that had been at the tomb of Jesus were witnessing about what they had seen and about what Jesus had done. Now there are two reasons why the crowd assembled on this day. First, because it had been prophesied from ancient times that this would happen. Listen, all of God's prophecies always come true just as he promised that they would. And the ones that have not yet come true, that we read that are yet future, they'll come true as well. We can count on it. But the second reason was because of the presence of Lazarus. Lazarus was a superstar at this time to the people. Because he, he was the man who came back from the dead. Crowds had heard about the miracle. They not only wanted to see Jesus, but they wanted to see this man who had been raised from the dead. But not everybody was happy on this day. They, there was not everybody was praising the Pharisees. Jesus' enemies, blinded and fooled by Satan, were not rejoicing over this festive entrance. <clears throat> Now, this was very similar to that military parade of Rome where the conquering general would ride into Rome and, and his army would be behind him and 
he would bring his prisoners in and the crowds would be uh, overjoyed and they would be praising the, the conquering general. <clears throat> he would receive the crown and so on and so on. But Jesus would not allow the people to see him as a military Messiah. That's not why he came. He came He came in humble surroundings and he would go in humble surroundings. <clears throat> in fact, John chapter 16, listen to what he says. Excuse me, John chapter 6, verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who was to come into the world. And perceiving that they were about to take him by force and make him king, he withdrew and went to the mountain by himself. Was he the king? He absolutely was. He was the king of Israel. The chants of the crowds were not those of a sincere and knowledgeable people, however. They wanted salvation now. <clears throat> but only if it was a salvation their way. Listen, you cannot have things your way. I can't have things my way. If I wanted, if, if, if I wanted to uh, have things my way, it would do absolutely no good. It has to be God's way. This is what people don't understand. That they, if they're going to come to Christ and find forgiveness from their sins, they'll have to come God's way. And that is in repentance and confession and with forsaking of the old life and a following of Christ. Their way was a political rescue from Rome and the oppression that Rome had over them. That would not happen. They were simply swept up, these people were swept up into an emotional frenzy because in just a few days they would be chanting another phrase, a phrase that was not a praise, that was, but one of condemning. They would be chanting, crucify him. We will not have this man to reign over us. And the reason? Because he didn't turn out to be the political, reason, the political savior they had hoped for. It's amazing how quickly people can turn against someone when their expectations are not met. Now, there's a poignant contrast here between those in the crowds that did not truly believe and those who were true disciples. <clears throat> Jesus said in chapter 8, verse 31, He said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My word, you are truly My disciples. There is the test. 
You want to know who the true disciples of Christ are? You want to know who the people who are truly saved are? They are the people who continue in His Word. They are the people who continue to believe even when the worst tragedies of life come upon them. They are the people who will not desert or defect because they don't have things happen their way. True believers are those who persevere to the end. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now think back to the time that you were born again. If indeed you have been born again. Think back to that time. Through all this time and all these years, you have believed. When things got bad, you didn't curse God and and walk away. You believed. You trusted. You persevered. You stayed with God's Word. That's the test. John writes in 2 John 9, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. I have people ask me all the time, Oh, what about my son? My, my son claimed to be a Christian, but he's, he's uh, living out in the world and he's doing everything that the world's doing and he doesn't seem to, to care about God or anything else. What about him? John says he doesn't have God. What about my daughter who, who uh, moved in with this guy? He's, she's living like the world and she, she, she doesn't care anything about the family or God or anybody else. She doesn't have God. People who have God in their life stay in the teaching of Christ. They stay with the Word. They believe what God said. They have a desire to live for Him. They have a desire to repent when they sin. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son, good John says. The bulk of these people on this day failed to grasp the significance of what was happening. They did not abide in the teaching of Christ. The true disciples that had believed in Jesus and followed Him stayed with Him. Where else could they go? Isn't that what Peter said? Lord, where, where are we going to go? Who, who else can we go to? You alone have the words of life. I wonder sometimes, <clears throat> I wonder sometimes just how people in the, in the world cope with the things that happen to them. And some don't cope. They have no one to turn to. But even Jesus' disciples did not understand what was actually taking place on this day until after his resurrection. And then with the aid of the Holy Spirit, they remembered and they understood and they proclaimed it in the gospel message. 
You remember the two disciples on the Emmaus road that were walking along and Jesus came walking along with them? And they, they entered into a, uh, an inn and they, they were listening to Jesus and what he said to them. They had watched him, they had watched this whole last week of his life, but they didn't understand what was taking place. Why were they, why were they not understanding? It was because their hearts were slow. They were slow of heart and they had little faith. Jesus opened up the word to them. And they said to themselves, did not our hearts burn when he opened the scriptures to us? If you're going to have heartburn, that's the kind to have. The kind that, the kind that burns within you when, you. when you see something in the scriptures and truth comes out to you. And you, you understand in a clearer, more knowledgeable way the things of God. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. After he was crucified and risen and ascended, they would understand because he would send the Holy Spirit to teach them. We heard about that this morning in our fit time downstairs. He promised them that in chapter 16, verse 12, I have, still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but he will speak what he hears. And he will declare to you Things that are to come. We have that right here. So let's get the picture now. In closing of what happened. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. The Pharisees are watching as the crowds flock around him. They're laying their palm branches and their cloaks on the road in front of him. The Pharisees watching this. Uh, remember the times that Jesus rallied a following because of the miracles that he had done. And now with this great miracle of Lazarus, more and more people are flocking to him. And now it is it's accelerated the excitement. He's being praised as the king of Israel. But notice what the Pharisees said. They said this in verse 19. You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And that's what it must have looked like to them. Of course, this is another example of uh, sinful misunderstanding and hyperbole. But to them, it must have seemed like the whole world was going after Jesus. This was certainly not true. In one sense, we could say maybe it's true if we classify the world as different people coming to Christ because we see in chapter, in, in verses 20 through 36, that uh, a bunch of Greeks came. That's for next time. The Pharisees were saying to 
the more brazen ones, were saying to some of the other Pharisees that were milder, Look, you see, you're gaining nothing. You're gaining nothing by being weak in this matter. He needs to be put to death. And so, the frustration and anxiety border on panic at this part at this point since everybody is going after Jesus and away from them they believe that if they don't do something drastic they're going to lose their following they're going to lose their wealth but friends that's what false teachers worry about they don't worry about people and what and in their lives, they, they worry about themselves. They worry about they're going to, what they're going to lose out if people go somewhere else. And quite frankly, this is what many pragmatic evangelicals today worry about. That's why they go woke. That's why they, that's why they bring the world into the church to... To give people a show. To entertain them. Because they don't want to lose their base. Nobody wants to lose people. Lord knows over the years we've lost people. But you cannot hang on to people at the expense of the truth. Not if you want to be true to God and please the Heavenly Father. The truth is more important than a following. The Pharisees are frantic. And when sinful men become frantic or with anxiety, they will act out in their fallen nature. And that's what happens. Soon they, these same people who are saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel, these same people will be saying, crucify him. You want to know the question of eternity? The question of eternity is this. What, it's, the, it's the question that Pilate asked. What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? Ask yourself that question. What will I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? Because that's what you'll have to answer when you stand before God. What did you do with Jesus? Did you believe Him? Did you follow Him? Did you repent of your sins and turn from your sins to follow Him? If you haven't, do it today. I know most of you, and I think most all of you have. But maybe there's one that hasn't. One day Jesus will come again. And when he does, those that are his will go up to meet him. And we'll be with him forever. I trust you'll be in that group.
All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the Lord's day and for all you've given us and the blessings you have bestowed upon us. We could not begin to to even name them, to repay. There's nothing we have that we could repay them with. But you don't ask for repayment. You give them freely to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. A salvation that is that changes our lives and brings us into fellowship with the living God. I I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us today. Draw your people close to yourself. Save those that are not saved today. We pray your blessing on this time of ministry in the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. My voice is almost gone, so just an announcement or two and I'll be done. Uh, I wanted to let everybody know that 